This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We appreciate those of, of you that are watching today, and we appreciate those of you who may be watching for the first time. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our subject centers around this topic, Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior is Jesus. I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now today we want to offer the free Bible correspondence course that we've done uh, on Know Your Bible in the past and we want you to have it in order that you might know more about the free Bible correspondence course and how to receive it. Let's pause for just one moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. If you were to want to read about Jesus Christ, His birth, and things that were said relative to the birth of Jesus Christ, one of the places that you would want to turn would be the first chapter of Matthew. In Matthew, the first chapter and verse 21, the Bible says, And she shall bring forth a child, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There is no life that has so radically changed civilization as the life lived by the Lord Jesus Christ. We date our letters from the time of His birth. The literature of the world has been greatly influenced by the life of Jesus Christ. And some of the masterpieces of art have been inspired by Jesus Christ and by His life. The status of women in society has been elevated because of the work and influence of Christ. Yes, Jesus Christ is the greatest of all time. And yet, Jesus Christ never traveled very far from home. He never had a book published. He never was starred in a movie. He never hit a home run. He never made a touchdown. He did not own an automobile. did not own a, a cell phone or a computer. He did not have a place to call his own, his home. And Jesus Christ stands out as the greatest of all time. In Isaiah chapter 9 and 6, the Bible says His name shall be called Wonderful. And not only is His name wonderful, Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is wonderful in the life He lived. In Acts 10, 38, we're told He went about doing good. 
Jesus is wonderful in his love. In John 15 and 13, the Bible reads, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ is wonderful in his compassion. In Matthew 9, 36, we're told that when he saw the people wandering about his sheep without a shepherd, he was moved with compassion. He was the compassionate Christ. Jesus is wonderful in his promises. Peter described his promises as being exceeding great and precious promises in 2 Peter 1, 4. Jesus Christ is wonderful in his power. Paul said that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we ask or think. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. But Jesus Christ is also wonderful in his purpose. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul wrote, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Jesus Christ came into the world. Actually, he was sent into the world. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. In John chapter 5 and verse 30, Jesus said, I seek not my own will, but the will of him that sent me. In John chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, Jesus there said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Jesus was sent into the world, and he was sent into the world to die. Hebrews 2 and 9 tells us that he, by the grace of God, tasted of death for every man. And Jesus Christ was sent into the world to become the Savior of the world. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14, there the, John wrote that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And man needs a Savior. Man's feeble efforts cannot save him. And, for example, medicine cannot save us. Now, medicine may improve our bodies, but medicine cannot save our souls. Science cannot save us. Science may improve our lives in so many ways and make life easier for us, and science may send men out into space, but science cannot take men to the moon. It may take men to heaven. It may take them to the moon, but it will never get men to heaven. And technology cannot save us. There are people who thought technology would be our Moses to lead us out of the wilderness. And I think we're in more confusion today than ever before because of technology. Technology may help us in some ways. It has improved global communication. You can communicate with someone on the other side of the world in just a matter of seconds. But I can tell you that's not going to improve your communication with God. And wealth cannot save you. Wealth might buy you a fancy home on this earth. But wealth is not going to buy you a home in heaven. 
You see, Jesus Christ is the Savior and our only Savior. And man needs a Savior because of man's predicament and the problem that man has, the predicament man is, is called sin. Now, I know that is not very popular for preachers to talk about sin today, especially on television. You don't talk about sin. But you can call it by any other name if you want to. But sin is still sin. The problem of America is not political. The problem of America is spiritual. It is a spiritual problem. It's a moral problem. It's a problem of the heart. And it's called sin. Sin is the problem. And man needs a Savior. Well, somebody says, well, Brother Lambert, when you talk about sin, what does that, re what does that really mean? What is sin? Well, sin is defined for us in the Bible itself. 1 John chapter 3 and 4 says that sin is the transgression of law. That simply means that we sin when we do something God forbids us to do. That's a sin. Sin is also the omission of law. That's failing to do what God tells us to do. James 4.17 says, To him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not, to him it is sin. In 1 John 5.19 we're told that all unrighteousness is sin. When we do those things that are unrighteous, that are not right, it is sin. But sin is also defined in Romans, the 14th chapter and verse 23, as the violation of a biblically regulated conscience. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And so sin is a terrible, terrible monster. Sin is a deceitful monster. Hebrews 3.13 warns us about the deceitfulness of sin. They exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, sin deceives us. Sin promises things that it cannot deliver. Sin promises you light, but it gives you darkness instead. Sin promises you health, and it gives sickness. Sin promises you freedom, but it gives you slavery. Sin promises you love, and it gives you hatred. Sin promises you heaven, and in the place of heaven, sin gives you hell. You see, sin tries to convince us that it's our best friend, when in reality, sin is the worst enemy that we all have. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 13, the way of the transgressor is hard, and the way of sin is a hard way. Well, what, what, what does sin do to us? Well, one thing that sin does is separate us from God. That's what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 59 in verse 2, that it's sin that separates us from God. It's his iniquity that will hide his face from us that he will not hear us. Sin separates. It separates families. It separates fathers from their families sometimes. It, it separates communities. It separates nations. It separates churches. Sin is a separator. It separates a man from his God. But sin also scars us. In Psalms 51 and 3, David said, My sin is ever before me. There's a man who had a mischievous son, and, and the son had gotten so bad, the father said, Every time you do something bad, I'm going out here to the tree in the yard. I'm going to drive a nail in the tree. It wasn't long until the tree was full of nails. And finally the father thought it was time to teach the son a lesson. He said, now 
Every time you do something good, I'm pulling a nail out of the tree. And the boy began to amend his ways and began to do good things rather than mischievous things. And the father noted one day all the nails had been pulled out of the tree. So he, he called his son in to compliment him. He said, son, I'm so proud of you. And I, because I've noticed all the nails are pulled out of the tree. He said, yes, daddy, but the holes are still there. And you may say, I'm going to sow my wild oats and I'm going to do as I please right now, Brother Lambert. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what my mother and daddy say. I don't care what God says. I'm going to live as I please. And then when I decide it later in life, if I decide to do so, I'll give my life to the Lord and I'll live for him then. You might do that, but I want you to know the holes are still going to be there. David had sinned against God. But it seems as though David couldn't forget it. He said, my sin is ever before me. I believe God had forgiven David, but David couldn't forgive David. He still had the scar of his sin in his mind and in his heart. But sin also will pollute you. It'll make you unclean in the eyes of God. Have you ever noticed these people that advertise on television always uh, when they use women, always use beautiful women. I, I've never seen them use, use someone that would be described as otherwise than a very beautiful woman. And, and they'll advertise everything from automobiles to soap. But have you ever wondered how those women that appear to be so beautiful on the outside may look on the inside? Sometimes they might use a handsome young man to advertise something. Have you ever wondered how that handsome young man may look on the inside to God. Well, they may look good on the outside, handsome, beautiful, but on the inside, when God looks at their heart, it may be just as black as coal dust because of the sin that is in their life. David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. That's a, that's a form of pollution. And that's a form of pollution you don't hear the environmentalists talking about today. I think we ought to be concerned about the, the, the pollution that we might have in our air and our water and in, in our world today. But, but, but I wish that we would get more concerned about the pollution of the soul. David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David realized he was dirty in the sight of God. And the end result of living this life of sin is eternal separation from God. Man needs a Savior. And thank God we have one. Jesus came to save us. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world. Well, why did he come into the world? To save sinners of whom I am chief. Well, what kind of sinners did he come to save? He came to save all kinds of sinners. He came to save, save people who were guilty of murder. Somebody says, now, Brother Lambert, I can't believe that you would say that, that he came to, do, to, to save people that were guilty of murder. Well, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached the first recorded gospel sermon under the Worldwide Commission, he was preaching that sermon to the people who had who had called out for the death of Jesus. And, and he said to them in Acts 2.23, You have by wicked hands crucified and slain. In other words, you killed the Son of God. 
But it was on that same day that men inquired, what shall we do? And they were told to repent of their sins and to be baptized for the remission of their sins. And about 3,000 did that, according to verse 41. And they were added to the church that very day, verse 47 of Acts chapter 2. Here were people who had been part and parcel in the death of Jesus, and yet the Lord saved them from their sins. He came to save all kinds of sinners. He came to save the immoral people, people that were guilty of all kinds of immoral deeds. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, Paul wrote, that know you not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he lists some things that would be included in that unrighteous actions and deeds. Such things as adultery and such things as theft. Such things as being effeminate. And then in verse 11 is the good news. And he said, and such were some of you. Here's where the love of God comes in. Here's where the grace of God comes in. And such were some of you. That's past tense. But now you're washed, you're justified, and you're sanctified. You see, the Lord came to save immoral people. Yes, indeed he did. And he came to save good moral people. You know the kind of a person you, you'd enjoy living next door to. We, we often say he, he lives such a good moral life. I, he's such a good person, a good moral individual. And I, I, I love that man. I really like that person. He's the kind of a man that gets involved in the community, gets involved at school, gets involved with the PTA, gets involved with the little league sports. Good moral person. But you see, it's not enough just to be a good moral person. If that had been the case, Cornelius would have been saved. But Cornelius was a man who feared God with all of his house, gave much alms to the people. His prayers went up as a memorial before God, but he needed Christ in his life. And that's the reason Peter went to his house, Acts eleven fourteen, tell him words whereby he and his house could be saved. You may live a good moral life, but it's going to take the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. Yes, indeed, Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. But His coming into the world to be the Savior of the world was not an earned gift on our part. No, God didn't owe us that. It was a matter of God's grace, His unmerited favor, His unearned favor that God sent Jesus into the world. We're saved by grace, Ephesians 2 and 8. Yes, indeed. But there's nothing that I have ever done that put God in debt to me so that God owed me salvation. He doesn't owe me anything. It's His gift to the world. And when we comply with the terms of pardon that uh, apply to us today, then we can be saved by the grace of God through obedience to the will of God. Yes, indeed, we have a Savior. And Oh, what a Savior. We have a Savior who inhabits eternity, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting to everlasting, Micah 5 and 2. Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. Paul in Colossians 1, 16 and 17 wrote, He is before all things, and, before him, and by him all things consist. Jesus inhabits eternity with God the Father. Oh, what a Savior indeed. And we have a Savior who was virgin born. 
Now, the birth of Jesus was just like any other birth. It was a natural birth. He was born just like any other baby. The thing that was miraculous about Jesus' birth was the conception. He was conceived in his mother's womb by the Holy Spirit without the seed of man being involved. He was born of a virgin. Isaiah predicted that in Isaiah chapter 7 in verse 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And in Matthew chapter 1 in verse 23 is the fulfillment of that. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3, 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And God was manifest in the flesh when Jesus came into this world in human form. He was born of a virgin. Oh, what a Savior. And we have a Savior who lived a perfect life. There's not a single person that has ever lived, now living or shall ever live, who can make that claim. But Jesus lived a perfect life. 1 Peter 2.22 says he did no sin. When neither was any guile found in his mouth. There was no deceit in him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, Paul said he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. You see, Jesus knew no sin. But Jesus became the sin substitute for the mankind. And Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. You know in the Old Testament, when the Jews were commanded to offer sacrifice, it had to be the very best they had. As a matter of fact, in the first chapter of the book of Malachi, Malachi rebuked the people because they were offering things to the Lord that were imperfect. They were offering things that were blind, that were sick, that were lame, things perhaps that they did not want, animals that they did not want, and so they would give the Lord that which was less than the best they had. So Malachi asked, why don't you try offering that to your governor and see if your governor will accept that at your hand? And if the governor wouldn't have it, why should you think God would want it? And so they were rebuked for offering less than the best they had. It, when God's people were still in bondage in Egypt, in order that they might be spared from the final plague, the death of the firstborn of man and beast through all of the land, they were told to get the blood of an animal. And that animal was to be one year old without blemish. And to take the blood of that animal and put it on the doorpost of their houses, they were to find the best they had, the one that was near, as near perfect as possible to offer as a sacrifice. And when it came time for God to find a sacrifice for the sins of the world, he wanted the best that there could be. And the best that he could find was his son. His son was a perfect sacrifice. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, Peter wrote, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, received by the vain conversation of the tradition of your fathers, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Jesus in John 1.29 is called the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God 
that takes away the sins of the world. And that lamb that was offered as an atonement, as a sacrifice for the sins of humanity was a perfect lamb. It was a perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and his perfection qualified him to become the sin substitute for the whole human race. Oh, what a Savior. But we have a Savior who died on the cross of Calvary, tasting of death for every man. And try to picture Jesus on that cross with nails in his hands and in his feet and a crown of thorns on his head, dying for sin, yours and mine. Oh, what a Savior. That Savior's coming back someday. He's coming back for those who give their lives to Him. And if you've not done that, don't hesitate about doing it for a moment. You need to have your sins washed away in His blood by being baptized into Christ, into His death, the benefits of His death. Romans 6, verse 3. Arise from the waters of baptism to walk in the newness of life, Romans 6, 4. Be added to the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit we were baptized into one body. And then you're added to that body called the church. I want to urge you to do that today. Jesus, our Savior. Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. In the closing moments, may I give you a very personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. I'm speaking to people right now, many of whom have accepted that invitation. And I want to thank you and encourage you to continue to be at the Church of Christ in your community. If you've not done that, please accept this invitation and visit at your very earliest convenience. And also right now, May I encourage you to pick up the telephone, call for the free Bible Correspondence Course. And I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. From my very first day at Faulkner, it's been an incredible experience. There's so much to do around campus, and I know that I've made friends that will last a lifetime. I love using my iPad in my classes. I feel really prepared for the future. Plus, the use of e-text helps me cut costs on textbooks. At Faulkner University, we seek to educate the whole person, including mind, spirit, and soul. That's what makes us different from most other universities. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to 
Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible. <laughs>